Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. New federal hires may soon get quicker access to health insurance. The Office of Personnel Management is going to tweak the process times for new enrollees in the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program. Once it's all finalized, new hires will theoretically have health care coverage their first day on the job. Here with details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. What's OPM doing and what are they trying to accomplish here, Drew? So the idea here, what OPM noticed was that there can sometimes for new federal hires be a gap in insurance coverage. For example, if they're moving from a private employer into the federal workforce. So the idea of the change here, and it's a proposed rule right now, is to avoid potential gaps in healthcare benefits for new hires when they come in. So the way the system is set up right now is that new federal employees have to sometimes wait a couple of weeks before they can start getting coverage through FEHB, and that can cause some negative consequences. You know, for example, especially if a new federal employee has significant or existing healthcare conditions or needs, a gap of even a few days in insurance coverage can lead to very high costs for medical bills. So OPM is, you know, after they noticed this difference here, and a lot of it has to do with the processing time of the paperwork to get them enrolled, they're looking to change that so that those new hires won't experience an unintended gap. Yeah, you could be on your first day of work and a runaway bus hits you at L'Enfant Plaza and then you don't have health insurance coverage. How do they envision this working? What's the theory here to enable this to happen? So if I could give an example, let's say that a new federal employee enrolls in the FEHB during their first two weeks on the job. So they got hired, they had their their first day, and they submit their enrollment request. And they haven't gotten hit by a runaway metro bus. (laughs) No, (laughs) hopefully not. (laughs) But the way that it works right now, if they submit it in the first two weeks, even if they get that enrollment over to OPM, it depends largely on when OPM actually can receive and process that request. Now, if OPM doesn't see the enrollment request until the next two weeks, so the next pay period when all that information turns over, then that means the federal employee, even though they enrolled sooner, won't be able to have the coverage until that next pay period. And that's where you see the gap. So it can be it can range anywhere from just a couple of days up to the two full weeks of a pay period. But that's where OPM is trying to change it. And what they're going to do is essentially retroactively give the federal employee coverage. So even if, you know, it's not processed or they don't see it in time, the employee will still be able to use the the health insurance and the health care coverage retroactively for anything they any costs that they might accrue during those first two weeks. And what do we know about the private sector? Is there a model there that OPM is trying to follow? They didn't reference anything specifically, but in the proposed rule, OPM did talk a little bit about how a lot of larger private sector employers have a similar practice to this. It's also something that that the FEGLI program, the Federal Employees Group Life Insurance Program, they have a similar process here and uh, to have employees get that coverage retroactively so there aren't any gaps. So I think at the end of the day, OPM is trying to, you know, replicate that similar program or similar system to ultimately help with federal recruitment and retention. If you have health insurance and have stronger benefits, that's going to help in the long run to to offer those to potential or prospective federal employees. 
And so if you would be coming from, say, the private sector where you have health insurance and you're going to join the government, in theory you would not need COBRA coverage, provided you stopped on Friday one day and started at the new government job the following Monday. It depends on the job, really. You know, from the private sector, sometimes they won't carry that over or there could be a potential gap. But I think OPM on their end within the FEHB is trying to do as much as they can to prevent that gap. And I think that's that's pretty much as far as they can take it. Sure. And this is not the only tinkering that OPM is doing with the FEHB. There's some other things you've been reporting that they're doing to always tweak that program. For the last couple of years, yeah, OPM has made a really good amount of changes. A lot of them have to do with what types of benefits are offered in the FEHB. So, for example, they've done a lot to offer more fertility benefits and set new requirements for health carriers to look at ways to offer in vitro fertilization, for example. They also are trying to get carriers to create more treatments and coverages for mental health as well as maternal health. And I, I spoke with actually uh, Kevin Moss, editor at Consumer's Checkbook, a little bit earlier this week. And, you know, he told me he thinks that this new proposed rule is in line with those same things where they're trying just a little piece at a time to make this a better program, make it a more comprehensive program for federal employees. I guess one question we can't answer now but worth exploring is how expanded mental health benefits under FEHB plans would affect the employee assistance plans, the EAPs, that a lot of organizations, agencies have that kind of exist outside of your regular health coverage. That's a great question. I would imagine that there's a little bit different offerings between the two, but I think You know, that's definitely something to look into more to see the difference between those. So what does OPM have to do now to get the instant coverage idea into practice? It's still going to be quite a while before we see the actual implementation of this. Maybe not a total surprise, but they're going to have to go through the standard regulations process. So they're accepting public comments on this proposal until April 1st. After that, they'll look to finalize the language and go through those comments once the rule is actually finalized, they said that they're going to give agencies 18 months, so a year and a half, to actually implement it because they said it can be pretty complicated to actually make this change. So we might not see it for maybe two years or so at, at the very least, but it's something that OPM is is working on, so, so we'll have to wait and see. And did they say anything about a cost estimate for it? Because the employee would have to pay retroactively for the coverage, the employee portion, but the government would have to pick up the tab at the outset also for the government portion. Probably they haven't gone through those calcs yet, have they? There may be some reference to the cost there. They did say it is going to be a pretty largely impactful proposed rule. I think there's about 250 or so thousand new enrollees in FEHB each year. So that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that they're going to be trying to give this to. I think there's going to be a little bit more work to determine the exact way that that's going to look. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much. Thank you. And check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Now. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. 
what's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply. That's not really human centered. The human centered is what do they need when they need it? and building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight... I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision, and it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so... That was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. 
and even your title, Chief People Officer. What does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful so it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things 
through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.